a couple of weeks ago, I was headed home, so I took the bus and uh, rode it to Harvard Square and was waiting for my other bus. So I was underground in the bus area uh, at Harvard Square. So if you're not familiar, in Harvard Square, underneath the square, there's uh, some bus lanes, dedicated bus lanes. So lane, the buses come in, you wait, and you take a bus that goes out. So I was there, you know, standing there waiting for my bus. I was listening to a podcast, sort of, you know, partially paying attention, mainly just watching for the number on my bus. And as I stood there, all of a sudden, I saw a car drive by. Not a bus, just a passenger car. And I I was startled by that. Sort of like, did I I just see that? And sort of began to look around at other people like, did you see that too? And then a second car drives by, just slowly passing by. These are dedicated bus lanes. These cars are, are not supposed to be there. So I was looking, you know, through my mask at other people trying to figure out, I mean, are they thinking this is as, as crazy as I was? Now, my best guess was these were probably two cars of tourists who were, you know, following their GPS, and their GPS, for some reason, took them on this shortcut, which it would be a shortcut if you cut down through there. I wouldn't recommend it, but, but, but they just cut right through. So therefore, if you're a tourist in town for the marathon... We're glad that you're here. We welcome you. I would encourage take an Uber, not a rental car, right? Just because of the difficulty of driving in Boston. Because here we were where only buses are supposed to be and instead cars. They didn't belong there. During the life and ministry of Jesus, we often see Jesus in places where it seemed that he doesn't belong where it seems to be perhaps he's confused. Why is he there? Why is he in this situation? And sometimes it's actually quite shocking. And today in our text, we'll see one of those instances where Jesus will be in a place where it would seem that he doesn't fit. It would seem that Jesus does not belong there. Well, what we'll see is that Jesus was not lost. And he was not mistaken, but he was intentionally choosing this place, this shocking, surprising place, and it is good news for us that he did. So if you have a Bible today, turn me to the book of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3, beginning in verse 13. The Bible's near you. You can find it on page 808 in the Bibles we've provided. to read in the Bible, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers, we're in chapter 3, the smaller numbers are the verse numbers, we'll begin in verse 13, I'll mention those verse numbers throughout our time together. If you don't own a copy of the Bible yourself, we as a church would love to give you one as a gift. At the back of the room, there's an information table, just a stack of Bibles there, we'd love for you following the service, just take one of those with you, you don't have to ask anybody, it'd be our joy if you were to take one of those Bibles with you today. So we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 3, beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. 
this morning, as we look at our passage, we're going to see that the beloved son has come. So we should look to him and find rest in him today. The beloved son has come, so we should look to him and find rest in him today. And we'll look at our passage in two parts. So first, we'll see the baptism, and then second, we'll see the voice. So the baptism and then the voice. So first we see the baptism in verses 13 through 15. Last week we saw this man we, we sometimes call John the baptizer or John the Baptist had come and he was carrying out his God-ordained role as the one who went before the promised Messiah. And so he was there in the wilderness of Judea preaching and huge crowds of the people were going out to hear John. And he was preaching and this was his message the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and in light of that, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand because the king is at hand, and so repent. So, so turn back from your sin, and as a part of that, John was in the Jordan River baptizing many people. And they were being baptized as an outward sign of this inward repentance. They're understanding, yes, they're, they're sinners. They were confessing their sin and being baptized. So huge crowds. And that's what's going on. We come to our text today in verse 13, and our verse begins just very simply, then Jesus came. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew so far, Matthew's been telling us about, if you remember, the lineage of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the preparation for Jesus, and now, finally, Jesus steps onto the scene. This was a play, like, like there had been, been some previous, you know, action, there have been some other actors, but now all of a sudden all the other actors recede as Jesus comes forward and the spotlight is on him. So here's the promised one, the king, the Messiah, the one who's been promised to save his people from their sins. So, so what would he do first? What would be his first public act? Well, look in verse 13. He came to John to be baptized by him. And we see that John tries to persuade Jesus not to do it. John understands that this is not right for John to baptize Jesus in John's mind because we saw last week in verse 11, and look up at verse 11, here's what John said about Jesus. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he, referring to Jesus, who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John had made clear, this one who was coming is greater than John. So why would John baptize Jesus? Why would the lesser one baptize the greater one? And John's objection also actually makes sense in light of the meaning of John's baptism. It was clear that the understanding of John's baptism was this is for repentance and the forgiveness of sins. John was preaching, calling all the people to repent, to turn back from sin, to confess their sin, and then to be baptized. A picture of that. So this baptism was open to all sinners which therefore was open to everyone because all people were sinners who were coming. But now here comes Jesus. Now we're not sure all that John understood about Jesus, but clearly he understands Jesus is this promised, anointed one. And he knew enough to, to understand it did not make sense in his mind 
for Jesus to undergo this baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We see Jesus' answer, verse 15. Jesus answered him and says, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John gave in. John was persuaded. So Jesus sees how this could be confusing to John. He understands John's objections, what's going through his mind in light of this. But Jesus persuades him, and John agrees to do it, because Jesus says it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. It's fitting, it's appropriate to fulfill the perfect will of God. So Jesus is baptized. And through Jesus' choice to be baptized, we see that he does several significant things. First, in his baptism, Jesus chooses to identify with sinners. And when Jesus comes, we, we, we are, see Jesus described in Isaiah as a servant. Isaiah 42.1 says this, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. So at every turn, Jesus seeking to serve, here he chooses to take on the role of servant by identifying himself with sinners. He's the perfect sinless son of God. So Jesus never sinned, but in order to accomplish his saving mission, he would intentionally, purposefully choose to identify with sinners. Later on Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 12 says this of Jesus. He was numbered with the transgressors. So Jesus would identify with sinners in his baptism and he would identify with sinners on his cross, even there taking their sin upon himself. As the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there we see, why does Jesus do this? Why does he identify with sinners in order to provide salvation for sinners like us? And friend, if you're not a Christian today, we're so glad that you would join us this morning. One of the many challenging aspects, I think, of Christianity is this idea that Christianity does say that all of us are sinners, every single one of us. That all of us have rebelled against God. We've all gone our own way. The scriptures tell us that, but also the scriptures tell us something even more astounding than that. That is that out of God's great love, Jesus Christ came to identify with sinners like me and like you in order that this great salvation could be provided as a free gift of grace. Jesus identifies with sinners in his baptism so that we would be able to identify with him in our baptism when we become Christians. So Jesus identifies with sinners. In his baptism, Jesus also displays full obedience. Jesus Christ the Son in every way obeys the Father. He was always willing to obey. Always willing to do exactly what the Father intends. And in his baptism, Jesus also humbles himself. That's the very story of Jesus coming near. 
humbling himself to, to come here and to take on flesh. Friends, it is beyond our comprehension to think the, the, the great length that Christ has humbled himself from the heights of heaven and glory to take on flesh. Christ humbled himself. And he continues that humbling in his baptism. And in his baptism, Jesus sets an example for us. For Jesus would instruct his followers and then would send his disciples into the future and to the nations to do this, to go and make disciples of all the nations. And as a part of making disciples, it was to teach them and to baptize them. This would be the, the, the outward picture of inward transformation that all who trust in Christ would be baptized. So, so Jesus himself is baptized as an example for all his future followers. So friend, you see here the humility, the magnificence of our Savior and King. So willing to thoroughly humble himself to identify with sinners like us in order that we could be saved and be identified with him. So we see the baptism. And then second, we see the voice in verse 16 and 17. We see verse 16, just briefly, that Jesus was baptized. And then he came up out of the water and something dramatic happens. The text says, the heavens were opened. Now, it's not clear to us all that this entails. We see this alluded to in the Old Testament, in, in Isaiah, and in Ezekiel, in visions where the heavens are opened. But in some way, the divide between heaven and earth is briefly torn open. And we're told that the Spirit of God, who we typically refer to as the Holy Spirit, descended like a dove and came to rest on Jesus. Now, the way it's described here, it's not clear. It, it may be the Holy Spirit descended like a dove descends, or descended in the actual form of a dove. It's not explicit here. And then there's a voice from heaven. And the voice says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And the voice from heaven is the very voice of God. Now, for 400 years, there had been no word from God. God had consistently sent prophets to go and, and speak his word to his people, but then there had been this 400-year time of silence. No prophets. No word from God to his people. And now, God himself was speaking. God himself speaking from heaven. And what does he say? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So here in this episode in the river, we see the reality of the triune God. We often refer to it as the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. God the Son had just been baptized, God the Holy Spirit descends upon him, and God the Father speaks. And this episode had great significance for Jesus, and it has great significance for us and for the world. Now, when God the Father speaks and says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, he draws on the language of both Psalm 2-7 and Isaiah 
He speaks of the son who is anointed and, and that he takes pleasure in, that he loves. We see more of this in Isaiah 42, 1 to 4, describing what Jesus would be like, the promised one. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. So here, friends, we're introduced to the fact that Jesus is God the Son. He is the beloved Son. So we've seen throughout this book so far, Jesus presented as his name. Jesus, the one who would save his people from their sins. He's called the Christ, which is the Messiah, the anointed one. We also refer to him as Emmanuel, which means God with us. God has come near to us. And now he is God the Son. If you've been with us in Matthew, we've been seeing Jesus make this interesting journey as he has retraced, relived the pattern of God's people. As they made their way, he and his family, to Egypt. And then out of Egypt. And now to the wilderness. And then into the Jordan River. And so here we're seeing that Jesus is the true Israel. That Jesus is the, the new Moses. That he has come to deliver his people from slavery to sin in this new exodus through his saving power. And now Jesus, who is God the Son, is embracing this role as he comes to be baptized. So friends, when we think about what we're seeing here between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, it's an amazing moment as we see this gloriously loving God who displays love to the world, to the universe, by sending forth the eternally beloved Son in order that he might save sinners and bring us, bring those sinners into the love of God. The Apostle John says it this way in 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. For we must see it, it's God's pursuit of us. It's not that we loved him, as the text says, but that he loved us and in that love sent forth the Son. Author Michael Reeves has written a really helpful book on the Trinity called Delighting in the Trinity. Michael Reeves says this. The Father sent the Son to make himself known. That the love the Father eternally had for the Son might be in those who believe in him. And that we might enjoy the Son as the Father always has. The Father so delights in his eternal love for the Son that he desires to share it with all who believe. Ultimately, the Father sent the Son because the Father so loved the Son and wanted to share that love and fellowship. 
His love for the world is the overflow of his almighty love for his son. So friends, we see the father pronouncing his love for the son. Imagine that love is for us as well. Christ came that we could be brought into that love. Jesus Christ, he is the beloved son. Jesus came to identify with sinners, as he did in his baptism, in order that he might ultimately rescue sinners like us from slavery to sin. He went to the cross, dying the death that we deserve, to provide the salvation that we could never provide for ourselves. And all of this to provide this free, glorious gift of salvation. Held out to all, held out to each and every one of us today. A gift that is received only by faith. And with this gift comes salvation, but also comes new life in Christ. Also comes free and full forgiveness and adoption, welcome into God's own family. So friends, now stunningly, if you're a Christian, you are now beloved by God as well. Just as the word was said over Jesus, this is my beloved son, now the father would say over you, this is my beloved child. We now know God as our loving father. To quote Michael Reeves again, he says this, Knowing God as our Father not only wonderfully gladdens our view of Him, it gives the deepest comfort and joy to us. The honor of it is stupefying. To be the child of some rich king would be nice, but to be the beloved of the emperor of the universe is beyond words. Clearly the salvation of God is better even than forgiveness and certainly more secure. Other gods might offer forgiveness, but this God welcomes and embraces us as his children, never to send us away. Friends, this is what happens in salvation. God welcomes you in as his own, as his child to never, ever send you away. And so, friend, if you're a Christian today, this is your truest identity. You're a beloved child of God. If you're a Christian, the same Holy Spirit that ascended on Jesus now powerfully dwells in you. The same Father who said of Jesus, this is my beloved, said, now says over you, this Two is my beloved child. Friend, this is your true identity. And this identity is secure because it's not grounded in your performance. It's not grounded in your behavior. It's grounded in what Christ has done. And he has done it. He has completed it. And it was done perfectly. So much of our identity today is based upon our performance. So your identity might be connected to your job or, or your work on campus. And so if you have a really good week, you feel really secure in your identity. Others are, are singing your praise. You, you got a promotion. But then you have a bad week and your identity is shaken. You lose your job. What is your identity, you might think? Or at other times, our identity is connected to relationships. So when people love us, when they want to be with us, we feel secure in it. But what happens when relationships are broken? When people forsake us, then our, our identity is shaken. 
here, friend, we have the one secure, immovable, unbreakable identity. You are beloved child of God. Nothing you do this week can shake that. Nothing you do next month will undermine that because it's based in Christ, in his faithfulness. He will surely finish what he has started in you. So friend, if you're a Christian, I wonder, do we really believe this? And perhaps you've been a Christian for a while. I guess the question would be, have we forgotten this? Or maybe we've just become so familiar to it that we, we say it, perhaps, but it's just really not a big deal to us anymore because we've just lost sight because we're overly familiar with it. And by God's grace, might God refresh our hearts, maybe open our eyes to see it as if we're seeing it for the very first time. Friends, others in this world may let you down. You may face loneliness, betrayal, and brokenness, but your Heavenly Father will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You are now His beloved. All of this because the King, the Savior, the beloved Son has come. He came and identified with sinners like us in order that through his perfect work, a new identity might be made available to us. And friend, if you're not a Christian, we would love for you to know this loving God. And I wonder if sometimes if you think about if there might be a God, when you imagine a God you might consider, what that God is like in your mind. And I think through conversations over the years, many, not all, but many, have the God they're considering is, is usually a more distant God, and typically a somewhat impersonal, and often thought to be angry God. But friends, we want you to see the true God is a God of love. Unlike any other, and of such love, they went to the greatest of links in sending forth Christ the Son to die for sinners like us. So friends, that's the God we want you to consider. A God who loves perfectly, more deeply than you could ever dream. And that love is freely available to you. So friend, if you're curious and you'd like to know more, I'll be at the door on the way out. I would love to chat with you. If you came with a friend or a family member, ask them. They would love to tell you more. You could also note it on your connection card. Or you could drop in the offering basket. But we just want to provide you at whatever level you're comfortable a chance to explore who Jesus is. So in light of this, the beloved son coming, identifying with us in baptism, how then are Christians to live today? How does this impact daily living for us. First question I would ask is, if you are a Christian, I wonder, have you followed belief in baptism? Christian baptism is a very important aspect of the Christian life. The pattern we see in the New Testament is, is someone hears this good news of what Christ has done, we repent and believe, and then follow that with baptism. And that baptism then tells a story. So, for instance, right up here we have a, a baptistry where, where someone who's come to faith in Christ, they then share their story through video, and then they stand there, and I take them under the water and bring them back up. 
And there are multiple levels to that. So one, in that taking under the water, it's a picture of what happened to Christ. Christ was buried and Christ was raised. But it's also a picture of what has happened to that person, what happens to every believer. When we repent and believe in Christ, we are united with Christ so that uh, supernaturally, mysteriously, we are united with him in his death and burial and in his resurrection. So in baptism, we are buried to our old life and raised to new life. So that's why baptism is a, a time of celebration for the church. That's why we, we applaud every time we see a baptism because the story that's being told, and that's the story for every single Christian. And as we're baptized like that, we, we follow the example of Jesus. He was baptized. And we follow the instructions of Jesus. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptizing them. So that's the normal pattern for the Christian. So perhaps in your life you've never been baptized. We would love to have the chance to celebrate that with you. I realize there might be a number of questions you might have. It can be sort of daunting or intimidating. So we'd love to chat with you. You can note that on the connection card. If you'd like to read a little bit more, up here on the book table, there's a free little book called Understanding Baptism. It's really brief. It just sort of answers some questions. So following the service, just go up there and grab one of those. Take it with you if you'd like to know more. Another thing we should do today, friends, in light of this, is simply this. Worship our Savior. In light of what Christ has done, in light of what we see in our text, worship our Savior who humbled himself, who came to fully identify with sinners like us. Friends, think on that this week. And when you're standing there waiting for the bus, or a few idle moments, just turn that over in your mind. What an amazing Savior we have. What a profoundly humble Savior who has come to do this even to the point of identifying himself with sinners like us. Friend, this week, treasure in your heart, in your mind, that the triune God of the universe has made a way for us to be brought into the love of God. This perfectly designed plan to bring rebels and sinners in. Treasure that. Friend, today, this week, find joy in the fact the perfect Son of God has provided this salvation. Friends, it's a sure gift, so your joy can be secure. Not grounded in the circumstances of life, not, not grounded in the ups and downs of daily living. Find security in what Christ has done. And friends, this week, if you're a Christian... Rest secure in your identity in Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, you are one of the beloved children of God. You're no outsider. You're no imposter. In Christ, God's family is your truest family. You and I saw those cars in the bus tunnel. They were in the wrong place. They were out of place. That's not where they belong. And it's sometimes tempting for us to, to wonder, do I really belong in the family of God? Perhaps because of the depths of the darkness of your past, because of sin that you have struggled with, perhaps still struggle with, perhaps of what others have said about you, it's hard for you to imagine that 
God would really welcome you into the family. So you always wonder, is it, is it really true? If, if there were a, a family picture of the family of God, you wonder, you might just, just be on the edge and, and perhaps God's just going to push you out of the picture. But friends, that is a lie. There is no truth in that. Because of Christ, the beloved son, you have been brought in as a beloved child of God and nothing and no one will ever pull you out of that. So rest in that this week. No matter what you face this week, friends, that's who you are. Place your confidence in your faithful father. When others let you down, know that your faithful father will continue to say over you, this is my beloved child. This is my child who I love. In the same way the Father loves the Son, He loves you. Rest in that today. Find joy in that today. Have confidence in your Father. And today is a means of response. There are several ways that we're going to respond. In just a moment, we're going to bow our heads just for a time of silence to consider this. So you might consider Christ for the first time. If you've been a Christian a long time, remind yourself this is a glorious reality, to be loved by the Father. Another means of response is that connection card. If you're with us in person, we'd love to know how we can pray for you or serve you. In a few moments we'll receive the offering. Just drop those cards in the basket. And then we're going to respond in singing as we lift our voices up. Not based on our circumstances, but based on what Father has done. Based upon the love that God has invited us into. So let's bow our heads for a time of silent praying. Then I'll lead us in praying together, and then we'll lift our voices in song. Let's bow our heads together.